All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn with me in them to the book of Romans. Turn with me there to chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. Sure, good to see you. Thank you, those of you who played your instruments this morning. Boy, I really appreciate you being there and enhancing the ministry, the music ministry. Always appreciate the ladies that are over here who are so faithful and consistent. Man, what a blessing it is. Amen. Now, I like I like to hear songs a cappella. I do. But, man, I sure like good music, too, don't you? What a blessing. Thank God for those who are faithful in, uh, in, in practicing in, in those things and being uh, here in the church with us. All right, Romans chapter 12. Look with me in verse number 3. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse number 3. I want to use it as the launching pad for our text in which we're going to study this morning. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse number 3. I pray the Holy Spirit will help me today uh, to deliver the burden He's placed upon my heart out of this passage. And um, we read verse 3. The Bible says, For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according to as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. I'd like to continue on the subject of pride this morning. This morning I would like to preach out of the context here in which I have read and the things that are around this passage of Scripture on pride and your personal progress. Let's pray. Father, would you pray, uh, Lord, I pray you'd hear me and God speak through me and touch hearts. And God, I pray your will be done in this service for your glory. In Christ's holy name, amen. You know, when Paul gave out this letter to the book of Romans, one of the greatest books in the Word of God. Of course, the Word of God is the greatest book on the planet. But there are 66 books inside that book. And the book of Romans is one of the greatest books for the child of God today to read and understand. And one of the things that Paul said when he started his letter, he said... uh, He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. He said, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And he said, to everyone that believeth. And he says, and he taught us that it has the power to save us and from the way, from the wages of sin and from the wrath of Almighty God. And then when you get into Romans chapter number six and seven and eight, he focuses on how that the gospel saves us, and then it begins to change us. Now, he's saving us from the wages of sin, and we're grateful. And he's saving us from the wrath of God, for which we shall always be grateful. But in the process, he is going to let us know that in chapter 6 and 7 and 8, that God is interested in changing us. Do we believe that the gospel has power to change people's lives? I think you're familiar with the passage of scripture that says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Now, word behold, it means that you can fix your eyes upon it. That means that there's a visual change that takes place. If the heart is being changed, if the light 
Life is being changed. It's going to manifest itself in your life and how that God begins to change things in your life. He said all things become new. So basically what we're saying here is that salvation leads to transformation. And the word transformation, we get our word metamorphosis from. And probably when you think about metamorphosis, you probably go back to grade school and probably where your teacher used the illustration, uh, basically, of a caterpillar. And how that caterpillar uh, one day would go into a cocoon, and then eventually that cocoon would then reveal a great big change. A caterpillar can be a very irritating little animal. But boy, when it goes into that cocoon and dies, and then out comes that beautiful butterfly, butterfly, you say, wow, how in the world, how in the world could that butterfly have ever been that caterpillar? And yet God was doing a mighty, miraculous work inside that cocoon to make that change take place. And what God does with His Son and through His Spirit and through His Word, He saves you, He changes you, and He begins to work from the inside out. And I want you to understand that word transformation, what it really means spiritually. I think that the Webster 1828 Dictionary has a great definition of this. He said in theology, he said it means transform. Because the reason I'm using the word transform is because in verse number 2, it says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. It is the will of God that you be transformed. It is the will of God that you be changed. That you are not what you once were. And that word transform means in theology, it means to change the natural disposition and temper of man. From a state of enmity to God and His Word into a disposition and temper conformed and desiring to do His will. And that's a change in direction. And a change in direction is going to begin to change other things in your life that we shall be able to see in you. Now, in order for that to take place, and the reason why I'm choosing verse number 3 here is because of our pride. You say, well, I, I've seen, now listen, I've seen some people get born again and their lives change immediately. And they're, and they, I mean, they just, whoo, like a rocket just took off in their lives and began to really begin to serve the Lord immediately. And you could see them begin to change their old ways and begin to uh, take on the new ways that God is working in their lives. And then I've seen some make professions of faith and it seems like it's taken them a number of years for God to begin to metamorphosize their lives. And yet you could see it gradually and incrementally. So what, what's the difference in that? It certainly wouldn't be God. It certainly would be somebody limiting God working in their hearts and in their lives. And I believe you'll see it in verse number 3 because it has to do with your pride. I don't think that you can speed up, Brother Travis, the transformation, but I believe that you can eat and slow it down. Who does God resist? Anybody know? Oh, man, he resists the proud. Who does he give grace to? Oh, the humble. Who gets to choose whether we are pride, proudful or humble? We do. All right? And so if I will... Embrace humility as my friend. And if I will stiff arm pride, 
as my enemy, my life will begin to change quicker and faster. Now notice in verse number 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And so he is saying now, let's read these verses together in their context. Look with me in verse number 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So anything I'm preaching to you this morning... It's the least you can do. It's only reasonable. And verse 2, And be not conformed to this world. And before you put your own personal standards up there for what is worldliness, how about putting God's standards? The world is full of hate, jealousy, pride, envy, strife. And God is filled with love and joy and peace and power and forgiving one another. Now notice he says, be not conformed to this word, but be transformed, metamorphosized. How? By the renewing of your mind. So what's slowing down the process of your metamorphosis? It is the way you think. It is your mindset. And some of you who have grown quickly and slowed back down, and you wonder how come you, you, you ever watch a teenager sometimes it, it seems like he's never going to grow and then there for a couple of years it's like he just squirts up and then he slows back down. That's the way it is sometimes with some believers is that they'll grow quickly and then for some reason they just seem stunted in their growth. And then they'll take off again. And listen, you may have been saved another, you may have been saved 25 or 30 years, but you can still grow. You may not grow as fast as you did back when you were saved 20 years ago, but you can still be growing. Now watch what he says. Be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yes, I am here to change your mind. My goal as a pastor is to change the way that you think. Because it's God's will that you change the way that you think. Before you were saved, you were mentally dark. And you were morally depraved. And when the Spirit of God saved you and came into you, He began to turn the light on to change the way that you think about things. Look what He says. He says, The renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And the will of God is not in three parts. Is the fact that the will of God is good. And the will of God is acceptable to him. And the will of God is perfect for you. And the Bible says in verse number 3, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you. Now he's talking to the church collectively. Talk to them individually by giving themselves to the Lord. And then he says, I need you to understand something. God's got a process of you growing. He says, I need you to understand how much you need your local assembly. How much you need each other. And how that God's going to use the people in your congregation to help you grow. See, you stop growing. Some of you stop growing because you start, you stop going to church as often as you should. 
And some of the reasons why that you don't know as much as you should because you don't really sense the fact that you need us. And that's where that high-mindedness comes in. That's where you think too highly of yourself. That you think that you can grow and become the Christian God wants you and you think that the people down at the church are the ones who are hindering you rather than helping you. Because all you see is our faults and our weaknesses. It's amazing to me to watch some young people grow up in this church over the past 27 years And some have stuck it out and grown and God's using them. And some have left. And some of those who have left, and I hope some of them may be watching even right now as I say this. I say this to you. You leave, you grow up in our assembly and then you walk away from our assembly and then you throw rocks at our assembly. As if you have no responsibility and no accountability to God for your own life. For us. Hey, we all got weaknesses. And yet in the weaknesses of my church family, I see that I need you. And many of you who have, in spite of our faults and weaknesses, recognize, hey, I need Brother Roger. Yeah, he's got, he's got issues. Who doesn't have issues? Amen. Some just got more than others. If you're looking for the perfect church and the perfect people, you're not going to ever fit in anywhere. And you know what's going to happen, though? You're going to stunt your growth. Your life is going to stop metamorphosizing, and you're going to stop changing. And now look what he says. He says not to think more highly. Think, Think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think soberly, according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. So how can I get you to think less of yourself? And I don't mean that in a sense of degrading yourself. That's not humility. He said think soberly. To properly evaluate one another. But you start evaluating yourself. Because usually the way that you look at other people, it kind of springs forth from the way that you look at yourself. And if you're thinking too highly of yourself, then you probably think that the brothers and sisters in here can't help you. You know what that worldly mind tells you? That you need people who have been, quote, trained by the world to help you with your, quote, issues. And you think that because that they are trained by the world's philosophy and their wisdom and their skill, that they're going to be able to help you with your sin problem. And they're going to be able to help you when you're walk with God because that's really all, all our issues is we're dealing with sin issues in our heart and our life. That, 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 that permeates our relationships with other people. If I'm right in this direction, it helps me in this direction. So rather than you humbling yourself and having faith in God that God could use the weak things of the world and, and, the, and the things that are despised, that God could use somebody in my assembly to help me? Oh, yes. Because see, what happens sometimes is in our evaluation of others, we get an attitude about these things. 
And because some folks, when he talks about this being too highly minded, uh, let's go back to our estimation here of one another and our evaluation of ourselves. A great warning is given, the danger of deceitful pride. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1 says that when a man thinketh himself to be something when he is nothing, what is he doing? He is deceiving himself. 1 Corinthians 3 says if a man desires the wisdom of God, he says, let him become a fool that he may be wise. So God is saying, come down off your high horse just a little bit. And uh, realize this, because here's what happens. We start evaluating each other once we get to know each other a little bit. And in our estimation of one another, in our evaluation of one another, we'll take what I think sometimes is called the educational view. Well, I'm more educated than they are. How can they help me? I've got a degree. They don't have anything. They're just country pumpkins. And some of them fell off the wagon coming to town. How can they help me? Their education does not match mine. Did you know that sometimes knowledge puffeth up? That you can actually be an educated fool. That you could actually be an educated failure. You can't maintain your your marriage relationship. You can't manage your money. You can't stay off of alcohol. You can't stay off of drugs. And yet... You think that Christian down at the house of the Lord, who the only Ph.D. he's got is a post hole digger, but yet he has joy and peace and victory over sin, but he can't help you. You take that educational view, and I'm not against education. You ought not be dumb and ignorant on purpose. And some, they take that elevated view. Because they have been successful and they have more cars and trucks and houses and land. Then how can a poor man help me? Did you know the book of Ecclesiastes says that sometimes that that a poor man's wisdom is despised? And yet when the city was in trouble and all of the rich men couldn't help deliver them, they went to this poor man who was wise enough to know how that they could be delivered. And he gave them an insight on how to do it. And they were saved, but yet then they forgot about him. Because we have this elevated view. Like, if you're so smart, why aren't you rich? Did you know that some people are rich because they lie, steal, and cheat? And there's some people that have a lot of possessions because they are way deep in debt. So they have an elevated view of themselves. But God wants you to have that equality view, that edifying view of each other, that I need you. Kids, listen to me just a minute. And you young folks, especially. I don't want to lose you. I love you. Don't let the world pull you away from here with their philosophies and ideas and criticisms. They have no answers. Look at their lives. They just laugh when they're around you. They're not, they're not laughing at home when they lay down at night. They're not happy. They have peace, joy, love, purpose. I want you to think about it. Because the way you estimate yourself 
usually it falls out on how you estimate others. If you too highly think too highly of yourself, it's even the scripture even says that sometimes you know that you got a king sometimes who no longer can no, no longer can be admonished. No matter how successful you've been or how great you think you are, you're never too big, never too wealthy, never too smart, never too rich, never too far along in your faith for somebody here in this assembly to help you in the work of God and your development. Because the ultimate goal is for you to be Christ-like. The transformation is to make you like Christ. But can you imagine, kiddos, that in verse number 4, notice what he says here. He says, that again, he's talking about collectively, about you being a part of the body. He said in verse 3, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself. Now listen, when he says, let me, let me slow down just a minute. I'm getting, I'm getting ahead of myself. I don't like doing that. Verse 3, For I say through the grace given unto me. In other words, he's evaluating himself and saying, I am what I am by the grace of God. Whatever gift I have is by the grace of God. Whatever I am is by the mercy of God. That's why when he said in verse number one, I beseech you. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that is, that goes back up into chapter number 11, where he talks about how that God, look in chapter number 11 with me, please. And look at this in verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Who hath known the mind of the Lord? Who hath been his counselor? Who hath first given to him? And it shall be recompensed unto him again. And for of him, through him, and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. What a doxology. Tremendous. He's talking about the mercy of God on the Jew and on the Gentile. That you and I who are outside the covenants and promises of God. And God let us get in by his marvelous mercy and his grace. And so he's saying, listen, I'm appealing to you. This morning, and I'm asking you to present your bodies to God, he said, as a living sacrifice out of your appreciation for the mercy of God. The mercy of God. And that you present your body to God because your body's been purchased by the blood of Christ. And your body has a new purpose. Did you know that your body is called the house? A house? But did you know that the transformation turns it into a Temple. It is a house where you live. But it also has a dual purpose. It is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And a temple is where God does things. Where he is worshipped. Where sacrifices are offered to God. The sacrifices of thanksgiving unto the Lord. And praise unto the Lord. Your body is now a temple. He said you've been bought with a price. He said you're not your own anymore. He said, so just present what is God's already to him. All right? That's the presentation. And the transformation begins to think, take place when you start thinking right and especially about each other and how much you care one for another. Now, I want to say this again now in verse number 3. Look, he says, For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not... I told you to quit getting in a hurry. Let me slow down. For I say, through the grace given unto me, Grace is something that was given to me. Was it you? He says to every man. Does that mean everybody in this room? Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. That means all of us have this problem. But to think soberly. 
according as God hath dealt to every man, every man in this room, the measure of faith. Verse 4, for as we have members in one body, in other words, we're all part of the body of Christ, all members have not the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. And you've got to see this. It'll help you to evaluate one another far more greater. That I, I need you. We're not the same, but we're in the same body. Can you imagine, Brother Lauren, the eye saying to the ear, Can't you see that dummy? Uh, can you imagine the ear saying to the eye, Can't you hear that dummy? Can you imagine the nose? Hey guys, can't y'all smell that? Because some things you can't see, some things you can't hear. But something's going on around here. I smell a dead rat. I don't see it and I don't hear it, but I smell it. And so if the ear is elevated in its thinking, if the eye is elevated in its thinking, there may be a danger that's going on around it. But the body is thinking because I cannot see it and I cannot hear it, I'm safe. I don't need the nose. But that nose, it symbolizes discernment. Because it can, it cannot present to you something that it can see. It cannot present to you something that it can hear. But it's dead on. Because it can smell something. And knows that something's not right. Or it can smell and say, man, I know what she's cooking today. It's going to be on the day. My favorite. As soon as you walk in the door. When Cindy puts a roast in the crock pot. It permeates the whole house. I can be in the bedroom. The doors are closed. I don't see the pot roast. I don't hear the pot roast. But I'm saying, we have a pot roast for lunch. I was able to make a good sound judgment because my nose said, hey, here it is. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I'm just saying that, listen, there are ears and there are noses and there are eyes. There are hands. And there are parts in here that you just really don't see. And by the way, God has put in some parts into your body that only respond to irritate you when something's not right. Amen? The stomach can work both ways. By the way, have you ever seen your stomach? I don't mean the, the layers of stuff on the outside. That's not actually your stomach. Have you ever seen your stomach? Probably not. Images, maybe. But that stomach reacts good and bad. You put something in there, it's a little poison. A little food poisoning. The eye thought it was good. The nose even thought it was good. The taste bud said, yep, it passed the test. But when it got to the stomach, the stomach said, uh uh, uh this is not good for us. And every once in a while, the stomach will pull a chain over here and say, you got to go back out. <laughs> You're not passing through here, buddy. For the good of the body. 
And so the rest of the body will actually, I mean, who, who enjoys throwing up? There's something wrong with you. The whole body will say, nope, nope, not going to do it, nope. And the stomach says, for the good, you're going out. And sometimes I'm saying that there's some people that God puts in your life in your congregation that you need. That will help you even when it is not pleasant. You say, well, that brother, man, he, I don't know about that brother. Man, he just makes me nervous. He irritates me. I just don't like him. Can you imagine? I would, I can't imagine what my, how my mother would have responded when she got that turpentine out. And she did try to put a little sugar in it, but she said, uh, son, uh, you're you going to take this. And I didn't look up there and say, man, mom, I, I'm looking forward to this turpentine. No, I didn't. But it was good for me. It purged me. And what I'm saying to you is that everything, so, some of you, you you're, you're hooked on, you're, you're getting hooked on, on sweets. And you're getting hooked on fast food rather than stuff that sometimes that you just really need to make you stronger. And there's people in this congregation that can help you grow that God's put around you if you'll stay in church. I'm saying that your transformation will be slowed down because of your pride. You say, well, I just want to grow. I just want God to change me. Hey, listen to me. You don't have to beg God to change you. God's in the changing business. And God wants to change you. God's willing to change you. But God's not going to change you based on how you want it done. God's going to use the people around you that you probably think very little of. And that you probably don't even know their names. Some of you, you tell me that you pray for your church family. How can you when you don't even know their names? Oh, God, bless East River Baptist Church. Oh, yeah, that's how you do it. I got a list of your names. You ought to have a list of everybody's names. And you ought to pray for them every single day. You say, yeah, but Brother, Brother Roger, when I come across that name, it just irritates me. That woman irritates me. But it could be that that person that you think the least of could be, because you're only seeing the surface of that individual. You don't really know that person. God could use that person at some point in your life to help you in your growth. Are y'all still with me? Okay. Now, I'm trying to help you to grow. I want you to understand how pride can hold you back in your transformation. Because pride always starts in the thoughts of the mind and in the heart. And if we struggle with a congregation, we will also struggle with our transformation. If you think that you're going to just say, okay, and listen, I get tired of hearing young adults say, I don't, I don't need to go to church to grow and to be right with God. Now, where did you get that from? 
So in other words, God chose a different path for you than he did for the rest of us. That path that God chose in is narrow and it's straight. He said, well, I don't have to, I don't, I don't have to go to church to be saved and be right with God. No. Maybe you don't have to go, but let me ask you a question. Not to be saved, you don't, because Jesus Christ is the one who saves us. And we're saved by grace through the power of God. Let me ask you this, though. You know, if you're married, do you have to go home every night? Well, no, I don't have to go home every night. Do you have to go home once in a while? Does it help the relationship if you go home? And I'm saying that if you have a relationship with God, you want to go home. You have a good relationship with your wife, you want to go home. I thank God that after 40-something years of being married, that when I go away on a meeting, my wife, the kids say, she starts moping around the house because I'm gone. Because she misses me. You say, oh, Brother Roger, she don't really miss you. Oh, yeah, she does. She still loves me. And I still love her. And by the way, when I get on the plane to come back, and I say, oh, man, I'm going back to the house. I to see Cindy again tonight. Nope. That's not the way it works because there's a relationship. And so it is. You know what? I didn't get up this morning and say, oh, man, got to go to church again today. No, I said, I'm getting to go. I did not say I was sad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I didn't even say I was mad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And on Wednesday night, I, I said, hey, I'm glad. As some had said, I think, I think some of the men had said, uh, maybe it might have been Brother Tucker. Some folks asked me, I know my neighbor did. My, my neighbor on, on my, on my neighbor. He said, Bob, Bob, Bob comes once in a while. He says, you gonna, y'all go, y'all have church on Sunday night too? Yes. And I said, guess what? Even on Wednesday nights. He said, really? I said, yeah. Who wants to go to church three times a week? If you don't have a relationship, you won't. And if you, if you don't really trust the work of God and the hand of God, that God has gifted men and graced men and women to minister to you, to help you change, then you won't look forward to that, that body working on you and trying to help you in your life. You just, listen, and by the way, you got to quit and stop looking just to the pastor to be the one God uses to change your life. Now, he will be one of the main ingredients because he's handling the word of God. And the word is powerful. But there's a lot of things that take place throughout a week that somebody can help you and minister to you and do some things for you that nobody sees. I pray that you would think, number one, not too highly of yourself. But number two, don't think too lowly of yourself. Oh, I can't do nothing. I'm of no value. I can't really help anybody. Okay? First of all, I'm going to grab you right around the neck like that, real gentle. Okay? Then I'm going to go smack, smack, smack in Jesus' name. Because 
you're calling God a liar. Because the Bible says God has gifted every man and given him an ability that God giveth. Everybody has been given some ability. Not all the same. Because we don't all need, we don't need ears lined up from the toe to the top. We don't need eyes like them creatures up in Revelation all over the body. You understand? I'm just telling you. You need us and we need you. The ultimate, the ultimate, the ultimate, you know, conclusion here is, is that, hey, I need you. But on the other side of that coin is a comfort that you need me. And every one of you should agree to that. Every single one of you. It's good if there's some folks here that kind of get you out of your comfort zone. Amen? I think that Mark needed both Paul and Barnabas. And Mark bailed out. When John Mark bailed out, on Paul. And later on, Paul was going on this missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas got in a very heated discussion. Barnabas said, we're going to take John Mark, give him a second chance. Paul said, no, we're not. Barnabas said, oh, yes, we are. Paul said, I said we weren't. Barnabas said, I said we were. John Mark needed both of those guys. Barnabas, the son of consolation, took him encouraged him, got him back up off the floor. Paul challenged him and provoked him and said, son, you're not going to get away with this slothfulness and this laziness and this irresponsibility. I'm not going to put up with it. Did you know that you need to hear somebody tell you that? And then you need to hear somebody else say, hey, look, you messed up, but you can do this. We can get you back on track. It may not come out of the same mouth, But you need both mouths. You understand? You you need that. Every once in a while, you need somebody turn your posterior just like that. Bam! Just like that. Then you need somebody on the other side that when you do get lifted off the ground, they catch you and say, hey, let me help you. Are you glad you're saved? Now, let me give you a little self-test, and let's go to the house. Look in Romans 15, please. Here's how you can grade your pride and your progress. Your pride and your progress. You need to have some hunger for God. God, please change me. God, please. I don't know about you, but when I got saved, and I got saved young. I mean, I got saved just out of high school. But you know what? I wanted to be changed. I wanted God to change my life. And I still do. I still do. There's a hunger. And the only thing that slowed it down for me was my my pride. God began to use me quickly after I got born again. I got involved in every part of the ministry. And I noticed people that weren't, I thought, engaged as much as they used to be. And I started kind of judging them a little bit, being critical of them a little bit. 
And then when I had the opportunity to go to Ohio to, to work with a guy up there, and I'm thinking, you know what? I'm the next John the Baptist coming on the scene. I get up there. That church blows apart. I've only been up there. Me and Cindy just got married. She's pregnant. She got pregnant after we got married. Make that very clear. That's important for young people to know that. There's no shame today. There's no shame. We get up there. That church blows apart. Brother Travis, it was a critical, critical, critical time in my young Christian life. I was broken in my heart for what I saw. What I felt, I cried. I wept. I left Ohio. I went up there high-minded, thinking I didn't need those folks back at East Amory Baptist Church. I had excelled them. I was past them. They needed me. I didn't need them. And I've watched Christians here get born again and say, and they get that attitude about East River because they see our faults sometimes and not our gifts or our graces. I don't, I don't really need you. So you don't see them as often as you should. I get up there. I was talking to God about this this week because he was reminding me of this. I don't dwell on it, but every once in a while I have to look back so that I can appreciate it and remember it because it's so painful. It's God chastening me. The Bible says chastening is always grievous but profitable. I was broken in my heart of what I saw, what I heard. I'm just a young Christian. I'm not used to this. I'm, 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 I'm sitting in a vehicle, and I'm actually sobbing. And I'm not even 22 years old. I'm getting disoriented and disillusioned. I'm broken financially. I had left a job, a good job in Mississippi to go up there. And then the night we decided to move back, I'm broken physically. I'm running a fever about 102, 103. I'm sick as a dog. I had to come back and lay on my father and mother-in-law's couch and lay there for a couple of days because I am so sick. And God said, now, I want you to remember this, that you still need that church. And you know what? He said, I want you to go back to that church. I want you to humble yourself. I want you to sit down. I want you to serve, but I want you to shut up, and I want you to learn. So I did. I humbled myself like, like a pup that had been whipped with a tail between his legs. It was one of the best things that could have ever happened to me in my personal growth. And I went back, and I looked at those people differently. They loved me in spite of my prideful ways. They saw my potential, and they loved me past my faults. And I thank God for that. You know there's some people in here that love you in spite of you because they can see the potential that's in your life. Now listen, I'm going to give you a quick test here, Romans 15, how to grade it. Hunger and humility are the way up. Am I, 
Am I growing? Am I changing? Am I becoming what God wanted me to? Chapter 15, verse 1. First of all, you'll be getting strong, stronger. He says, we then that are strong, you'll be an overcomer. This is how you know you're transforming in your life. You are becoming an overcomer. You're no longer a victim, but a victor. You are now conquering instead of being conquered. And your church will help you do that. Your church family will love you. There are some people you can confide in who won't spread everything. You'll be stronger. You'll be more patient with other people. He said that them that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Look at that. We're growing stronger personally. And we're far more patient with other people and their development and their infirmities and their ignorances. In other words, you start caring about other people more than yourself. See, my nose now, it cares about the rest of the body more than just itself. My ear cares about the whole body and not just hearing. Look in verse 2. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. So now I'm becoming more like Jesus in verse 3. For even Christ pleased not himself. You come to church just so that you can be pleased? Well, I didn't, man, I didn't get anything out of that. Well, what did you put into it? Well, I didn't get a blessing. Well, were you a blessing? Hmm? Do you ever just go into something in order to please God and to be a blessing to somebody else? Even Christ pleased not himself. In other words, it's not just going to be about me, me having my way. I'm going to be good for others. If I'm, if my life is being transformed, I'm going to be good for other people. The Father will be glorified and others will be edified. Notice carefully here, quickly. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our what? Our learning, which means I'm teachable, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. That means confidence. So if I'm being transformed, I'm getting stronger. I'm becoming more patient with other people. I'm becoming more selfless and less selfish. I'm teachable. I'm confident. And I'm focused on what glorifies God, which is this in verse 5. The God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one toward another. That's unity in truth. Harmony and charity. And verse 6 says that you may one with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think this morning that your attitude about us will determine your altitude with Him. Let's stand together, please. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Cindy, would you please come to the piano for just a moment? I'm, with all my heart, I, I pray that you would search your heart and your mind and your spirit and look and see if your heart and your mind and spirit and your attitude towards your church family maybe might be slowing down your growth and your development. And do you want God to continue to transform your life and change your life so that he might use you? Do you feel like that you really, 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 really need your church family? 
that you need other children of God in your life. Even sometimes if you are a loner and you just like being by yourself, do you still realize that it's not good for you all the time, that you need your brothers and your sisters in Christ? Do you value us? Do you love us? Do you need us? Don't think too highly of yourself. Think soberly. Father in heaven, I've delivered what you've given to me. Please, dear God. Please, dear God. Speak to them on the inside. May they humble themselves before you and say, Oh God, forgive me for thinking so lightly of my local family, my church family, my brothers and sisters. God, help me to see beyond their faults and to see the grace and the gifts that you've given them that I need. I need Brother John Yaws in my life. Father, I need Brother Lorne Goodrich in my life. Father, I need Brother Scott Goodrich in my life. I need Johnny Skiro in my life. I need Brother Travis whom I love almost as a son, I need him and Stephanie in my life. I need all of these men and women. Lord, I think about Brother Craig, how you've used him, and sometimes he doesn't even see it and know it. Him and Nancy, their faith and their endurance and what it's done for me, I need them. I admit it. I'd not be the same without them. Thank you for bringing Brother Gary Brown into my life. Thank you for bringing Lewis Clark, dear God, across my path. Lord, you said iron sharpens iron. Help me to be a blessing. And thank you, Lord, for these good men and women that you've brought to this assembly. And I can't remember all their names. And, Lord, I'm not trying to elevate anybody beyond measure. God, I'm just trying to be sincere and honest before you. I thank you for my brothers and my sisters in Christ. We ask, God, that you'd help us to love one another and need one another. In Jesus' name. Our heads bowed. I pray you'd obey the Holy Ghost, please.